0: We are in Revelation chapter 3 this morning. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And also if you would put a finger in Matthew chapter 23. Revelations 3 and Matthew chapter 23. Let's pray together. Father, it is a, a weekend of reflection, as we think about 20 years ago of, of 9-11. There's so many things that are going on in our world, in our country, uh, even this week. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are on, on the throne, that you rule and that you reign, that you have a plan and a purpose, and we trust in your goodness and your faithfulness. We also know how important the body of believers are to you as you write these seven letters to these seven churches. So would you speak to us this morning? Would you give us ears to hear and and hearts to understand what your message would be for us? In Jesus' name, amen. As we study these seven letters to the seven churches, we ask the question is, what is the church? Uh, We think of oftentimes as the church being a building, which it's not. The church is the people of God. The word church, it means to be called out together. I think sports really provides that kind of illustration for us as we have the first uh, weekend of the NFL season is any sports team is really called out together for a purpose to work together to try to win a victory. And as God's people, we've been called out of darkness into light to serve the Lord. Why is church important? Why is the, the body of believers important? And because it's important to Jesus. We're told in this section of Revelation that Jesus walks in the midst of the churches of the seven golden lampstands. Christ is always with us, but he gives his special presence to us as we gather together as believers in settings like this or or in homes. So if church is important to Christ, it's important to us. But what's our purpose? What's the purpose of, of the church? The churches are described as the lampstand and the lampstand holds the light. And we as God's people, we, we hold the light. And God wants to use us to take the light, the love of Jesus Christ, and, and to share it. What an important time for us to be loving unbelievers, to be sharing the gospel and, and sharing the hope of, of who Christ is. This particular church that Jesus writes to, the church of Sardis, is in a place where they have a reputation of being alive. People thought, man, the church of Sardis is so healthy and they love Jesus. But when Jesus saw the church, he actually saw spiritual death. And the challenge for the church of Sardis and the challenge for us is to live beyond reputation. We might have the, the reputation of following Christ, but yet there's been a disconnect between us and Jesus. And God is calling the church of Sardis not just to go through the motions, not just to have... The outward facade, but to really be walking with the Lord. Join me in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the word angel means messenger. It's thought that this is possibly addressing the pastor or that each church has a literal angel. But and to the angel of the church in Sardis. Sardis is 30 miles from Thyatira, southwest. Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It was an important trade route. There was a lot of industry there, but there was also a lot of pagan worship. It was a wealthy city. These things says he who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. The seven spirits of God are possessed by Jesus. This is not saying that there's seven holy spirits. There's, There's one holy spirit, but the word seven, the number seven, is the number of completion. So the attributes of the spirit are all possessed by Jesus. Jesus goes right to correction. I know your works that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. In most of the letters, Jesus gives a commendation. He gives a encouragement. But here for the church of Sardis, he goes right to the correction. And he says, I know your works and i know that you have a name that you are alive but in actuality you are dead so their reputation was good the other churches in the surrounding area would look at sardis maybe even as an example of those that love the lord and and serve the lord but christ's perspective is entirely different and i find that challenging about these seven letters is this may be what the church thinks about themselves this might, might be what Others think about the church, but this is what Jesus sees. And we want to search our hearts before the Holy Spirit of saying, God, what do you see in my life? God, what do you see in in Rocky Mountain Calvary? This may be what what we think or what other people think, but but God, what do you think? For the church to have the reputation of spiritual life, but actually to have death is like a cloud. Hasn't it really been a hot September, a hot dry summer here in Colorado. It's a little bit frustrating when there's a big dark cloud. You're thinking, man, we're going to get one of those thunderstorms that Colorado's known for. For it to simply pass over. No rain comes from that that cloud. And that's what the church of Sardis is like. It it looks good. It acts good. You think it's going to produce the life of Christ, but That's not what takes place. This reminds me a lot of the Pharisees. Where the church of Sardis is at is where the Pharisees were at as well. So I want to take some time to look at Matthew chapter 23 this morning and see where the scribes and the Pharisees went wrong, probably where the church of Sardis went wrong as well, and for us to have a warning from the Lord, because we With religion, apart from relationship with Christ, we're going to tend to go this direction. We're going to tend to go the direction of the scribes and Pharisees of the church of Sardis, where we've got the outward facade, but there's not the genuine life of Christ taking place in our lives. So, this is Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. Now, notice who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to the multitude and the disciples. But he's not speaking to the scribes and the pharisees he's speaking about the scribes and the pharisees but he's actually teaching the disciples and the multitudes this is what i want you to not do this comes at the very end of christ's life he's about ready to be crucified and it's an important topic on his heart and on his mind saying the scribes and the pharisees sit in moses seat moses seat that position of authority that position of spiritual influence and that's where the scribes and the pharisees sat when we think of the scribes and pharisees we oftentimes only think of them in a negative context but they started off well the scribes whole job was to be in the word and to rightly transcribe it to be able to produce copies scrolls of of the word of god they were committed to the word of god They were men of the word. The Pharisees were a group that set themselves apart to study and implement the word of God. So they started off well, but somewhere they got completely off track. And Jesus tells us how and why they got off track. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So if you're writing things down, this is where the Pharisees went wrong, is they place a burden on others they were unwilling to carry themselves. We go down a wrong path if we place a burden on others that we're we're unwilling to carry. And I don't know why that we would tend to do this than the scribes and the Pharisees would, would tend to do this. But this can easily happen where we're putting heavy trips on people and we examine our own lives and we go, I'm not even doing what I'm asking other people to do. And it's not the heart of Christ. It's not the yoke of Christ. It's interesting that Jesus, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy and light. Jesus didn't lay a heavy burden. He said, I want you to walk with me. I want you to let me carry the burden and you walk in and step with me. But religion tends to put burdens on people that God never intended. Now, don't get me wrong. It, there's a beauty of walking with Christ and, and there's commands that Christ gives to us. But these are not the commands of Christ these are not the the heart of Christ. This is not coming in relationship with Christ. These these are just burdens and rules and, and regulations. So we examine our hearts and we go, wait a second, am I starting to put burdens and heavy trips on people? And if I'm honest, I'm not doing those things in my own life? I have no intention of doing those things in my own life. And this is part of having a reputation of spiritual life, but no genuine spiritual life that is taking place. In verse 5, But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greeting in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. The second mistake that they make is uh, they live to be seen by others. They live to be seen by others. And this can really creep into our hearts. It's slow, but it gets in there where before long, we're not serving the Lord. We're really serving ourselves and wanting to be seen and receive that praise of others. Jesus taught us when we serve to do it in secret, to do it privately so Our Heavenly Father, who sees in secret, will reward us openly. I'm not doing this to be seen by men. I'm doing this out of love for the Father. But what creeped into the heart of the Pharisees is they wanted to be seen by others. What's a phylactery? It was a a box that they would actually wear on their head with Scripture verses in it. Like, this is a message to say, I'm really committed to memorizing the Scriptures, could you imagine wearing a, a necklace with like a, a small box on your on your chest, and people are like, "Hey, what's that?" Well, that, those are my Bible memory cards. And by the way, I I know three hundred and sixty five verses. Would you, Would you like to to quiz me? And, and everybody's like, "Wow! Like you you're really committed to to Christ. You're you're really a a follower of Christ." And it worked. That's the scary thing, is, is then people would look at the scribes and the Pharisees. I think a lot of people were probably shocked at Christ's view of the scribes and Pharisees because they looked at them as the epitome of spiritual health. They'd come to the scribes and the Pharisees and go, Oh, it's, it's a scribe. It's a, it's a Pharisee. Why don't you have the, the best seat at King Supers? Oh, hey, Rabbi. It's good to see you. All of those those types of of things. Oftentimes I think we think that we're above this but it can really creep into our hearts and we live in a culture that really emphasizes reputation to be seen by others and social media has really propagated that hasn't it? What do we put out on social media? We don't put out the worst parts of us on on social media probably wisely. You know, that it's not really the place to, to air your your dirty laundry. But we always put out the, the best that we've got to offer on on social media. The best of the experience. And it's not really a, a clear portrayal of what's actually taking place. It's just that that moment in time and we put it out there. And really what makes social media work is people's opportunity right then to express their approval or disapproval. So you put this out there and people can hit the like button and we feel a little bit better about ourselves because we got more likes. If there wasn't that like button with social media, I don't think it would be the thing that it is today. We all do it. You make a post and you go back a couple later, hours later, or maybe a few days later, and you go, I want to see how many likes that it has, right? Social media has a, gone a little bit farther and now you can do the thumbs down button. You, you can make a, make a comment. So we examine our hearts and we go, are we serving the Lord? Are we doing these things out of a genuine love and appreciation for Him? Are we wanting to be seen by men? We're wanting the approval of others. In verse 8, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on your earth Father, for one is your Father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This is interesting from Christ when we really think about this in the context of the scribes and the Pharisees, as he's saying, don't overly put emphasis on people. Don't go around calling somebody your teacher, rabbi. Don't go around calling somebody your spiritual father. You've got one teacher, and that's Christ. He, he's the ultimate teacher. You have one father, and that's, and that's God. And this is an instruction to the multitude and, and the disciples. And for some reason, we're looking for celebrities, and in the church there can almost become a celebrity type of, of culture and we don't ever want to put a pastor an author a spiritual leader up on a pedestal because we're all sinners there's equal footing at the cross so in our own hearts and minds we go you know why am i so impressed with this teacher with this pastor with this author with this with this podcast i've, I've put them up on a on a pedestal and we would never say it out loud but but maybe we've diminished Christ a bit in our lives and we've elevated a person. We can see this person and we can't see Christ. Had that maybe happened in the church of Sardis where they were elevating people instead of elevating Christ. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, don't call him teacher. Don't, don't call him your, your spiritual father. You, you have one. He even instructs the disciples, don't go around presenting yourself as a teacher. Oftentimes, The disciples, how would they present themselves in the epistles? They'd say, I'm a bondservant of Christ. Not, I'm one of the original 12 disciples. You know? I'm the great apostle. La, 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 Right? These are all the books that I have sold. I'm a prolific author. No, I'm the bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm the slave of Jesus Christ. Because they got what Christ said here in verse 11 and 12. The way out of this is to serve. The way out of this is to humble ourselves. Jesus came as a servant, came to be the ransom for many. Jesus washed feet. He met needs. He had compassion on people. He went to the cross. And so we choose to to serve. And as we serve, then Christ is glorified. We're going to jump down to verse 23. Jesus speaks a, a lot of woes. He speaks a lot of judgment on the scribes and the pharisees and then we get to verse 23 woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith thus you ought to have done without leaving the others undone blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel that's quite quite a visual you're straining your food and your beverage to make sure you don't swallow a gnat, but in turn, you swallowed a camel. While Amber and I are, were away, we went up to the Puget Sound north of Seattle, hadn't spent much time in that, that area, and it was, it was beautiful. And where one night, we were sitting out on the beach watching the sunset, and there was a seagull that was trying to eat a starfish, like pretty good-sized starfish. And I was telling Amber, there is no way he's getting this down. There's no way that he's going to swallow this. I mean, you're looking at the neck of the seagull and the starfish, and then you're wondering, what does this seagull see in this starfish? I mean, it's hard, this this hard surface. But over the course of like 15 or 20 minutes, he actually got the starfish all the way down. He swallowed the camel, if you would. And I had a greater appreciation for seagulls. Like, those birds are are, are amazing, right? So the Pharisees have gotten way off track. And this is the third thing to to focus on is they focused on the minors and neglected the majors. They focused on the minors and neglected the majors. They're tithing on their herb garden. And Jesus doesn't condemn that. He says, "You you should have continued tithing on your herbs, your cumin, your cinnamon, but you've neglected the weightier things the things of justice and mercy and faith. And when we're living for reputation, we're going to focus on the minor things. We're going to focus on the things that people can see. Ooh, you're tithing on your herb garden. That's a whole nother commitment of being a cheerful giver, right? And they liked that praise that came from, well, what are you doing out there? Well, I'm just making sure that I'm giving my 10% of my herbs to, to the Lord. I mean, can you, can you imagine? But there's obvious things right in front of them, of justice. There's atrocities that are being, being taken place that the scribes and the Pharisees should have stood up for. There was a, a clear opportunity for mercy, to be able to express mercy. Here, here's a clear opportunity for faith, to be able to, to trust the Lord. And we examine our hearts and we examine our church. And is it possible that our church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, we're starting to focus on the minors and we're missing the majors? Is there things in our community where Jesus would go, this is obvious, this is an obvious time for for justice. This is an obvious time for mercy. This is an obvious time for faith. Jesus told us, or excuse me, James told us, what is pure and undefiled religion? It's to visit the orphan and the widow and their suffering. What would God maybe be saying about Colorado Springs? Take care of the widow. Take care of the the orphan. These are are major issues to God. But we've got everything flipped upside down, and and we're focusing on the minors, and we're neglecting the majors. Religion, reputation will tend to do that. Jesus really gets to the heart of the issue in verse 25 through 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Reputation, the facade, it looks great on the outside. Pharisees looked great on the outside, but what was in their hearts? Extortion. They're actually ripping off God's people and selfishness. "...blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Fourth way the Pharisees went wrong is they focused on the outward instead of the inward. They didn't allow God to clean the inside of the cup. In Jerusalem, even at the time of Jesus, there are whitewashed tombs. Jesus is literally looking at whitewashed tombs. That tomb is white, but yet what's inside? Dead bones. It says you scribes and Pharisees you're a whitewashed tomb. The church of sardis. Man it looked squeaky clean on the outside. It looked righteous on the outside. But all Jesus sees is, is dead bones that he is addressing. Here at the church I think rightfully so we put a, a little bit of effort in how the stage looks so it's not a distraction. You know there's not coffee cups that sitting out here and you know there isn't the trash over here and but the backstage is a little bit different <laughs> the backstage is more like your garage it's, it's functioning right we've got an old couch back there there's a little room over here that we pray together uh, before service the couch was a freebie from craigslist nothing that is super impressive but comfortable it can be dangerous to sit in right before service You're Like oh. I should go out and preach, but I, gotta, I feel like I need to sleep, right? <laughs> and a lot of times in our lives, we spend a lot of time on the front stage. The priority is what people can see. But we neglect the backstage. We neglect what's going on in the heart. And I think that this is oftentimes a real trap for pastors, it can be a, a real trap for me. Is As a pastor, it's a public position. The scribes and the Pharisees, it's a, it's a public position. and can spend a lot of time trying to make sure the outside is, is right. But yet, what does God really care about? He really cares about the heart. How come we're seeing so many pastors fall away? Well, the outside of their life was right, but the inside wasn't. The inside of the cup wasn't taken care of before the Lord. They'd gone down this trap of reputation, and God was was calling them to that deeper relationship with the Lord. That's what I imagine had happened in the church of Sardis. They put a lot of effort in the outward things that people could see, but the, the inward wasn't being taken care of. And Jesus is so loving and he's so gracious, he's ready to cleanse our hearts. He's ready for us to, to open up before him, to confess our sin to him. The promise that we have from God is if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. And there can be this deception that happens in our hearts that goes, you know, well, well because I'm, I'm going to church, maybe there's not as much depravity in my heart. Maybe there's not as much sin in my heart. Or, man, I'm finally reading the Bible for myself and I'm doing my devotions. And maybe because I'm, I'm doing the, my devotions, there isn't sin and depravity in my heart. Or, man, I'm serving in the church. Maybe I'm in ministry. Maybe, maybe there's not depravity in my heart. Guess what? We're going to be just as much sinners when we walk out of here as when we came in here. And people in ministry are sinners. People that read their Bibles are are sinners, and we need Jesus, don't we? And if we're not careful, we can begin to think, well, because I came to church, I'm good. Because I served, I'm good. Because I I tithed, I'm good. And God's saying, no, take a look at the heart. Open up your heart to me, and let me do a work that only I can do in your heart. Verse 37, we jump down to at the end of this chapter. Oh, Jerusalem, 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 the one who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house, speaking of the temple, is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus. This is the heart of it, gang. This is the heart of it, church. As Jesus is saying, scribes and Pharisees, this is where you missed it. But all along, I wanted to give myself to you. I wanted to gather you the way a hen gathers her chicks. I wanted you, you to be close to my heart. Jerusalem, that's what I had for you. Temple, that's what I had for you. But you would not. You were willing. You were unwilling. You just wanted the facade. You just wanted the relationship. And church, that's the heart of this is just Jesus is saying, don't just go for the surface. Don't just go for the reputation. You have access to me. We have access to Jesus this morning and to come to him, to draw near to him in a real personal and authentic way. Let's go back to Revelation verse 2. That may be the longest I've ever taught on one verse. Now we're only in verse 2 and we're already out of time. I'm up a creek without a paddle. Be watchful and strengthen those things that remain that are ready to die. God's answer f- for the church of Sardis is be watchful. Go, Wake up. Be looking to Christ, looking for Christ, Christ's return. Be, be aware of our, our own sin and then strengthen those things that remain that are ready to die. There was a little bit of life, spiritual life left in Sardis and strengthen those things. Look for those areas in our lives spiritually where you see a little bit of life. Is there a little bit of life when, when you read God's word? Then strengthen that. Is there a little bit of life when you hang out with believers? Is there a friend that's a believer that you spend time with and you get encouraged? Well, well invest in that. Are you encouraged when you worship? Well, worship. Get your worship playlist going. Enjoy someone else's worship Playlists. Sing sing to the Lord. Where you see a little bit of life, invest in that because it's ready to die. For I've not found your works perfect before the Lord. Remember therefore how you've received and heard and hold fast. so I want you to remember, Church of Sardis, how you used to hear the word of God. When you'd hear the word of God, then you would hold fast to it. Repent, get back to that. Don't just... Keep up the reputation, but hear the word of God. How we hear the word of God is, is so important. When we read the, the word of God, when we hear God's word be taught, are we coming to it in a place where we're saying, God, I expect you to speak to me. I'm ready for you uh, to speak to me. And as we hear, then, then we hold fast. And as we hold fast, staying close to the heart of God. Jesus and his love for us calls us to repentance. Five out of the seven churches receive correction from the Lord. When we receive correction, it's often easy for us to get defensive. How do you handle it when you receive correction, even from somebody that you know cares about you? Maybe you've got a good boss, and your boss says, hey, do you have a second? Nope, I don't. I really don't, right? This is something you could work on. These are things you're doing well, but you could really do better at this. It's like, Really? It's easy to get defensive at home, right? Maybe you're serving and doing things at, at home and your spouse or your kids or your roommates say, hey, you know, could you work on this? When you do this, you kind of leave this really messy. What? what? Are, you, are you picking on the way that I do dishes? Well, you never do dishes, right? We're getting defensive. We, we don't want to receive correction. But remember, when Jesus corrects us, it's because he loves us, amen? Amen. He loves the church of Sardis. He doesn't want the church of Sardis to just be an empty shell. So he calls them to that place of of repentance. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Church of Sardis, if you're not watching, my second coming is going to come to you as a thief. You're not going to be ready. Jesus wants us to be watchful and to be ready for his return. Winston Churchill said to Britain in the early days of World War II I must drop one word of caution. For next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. What's Winston Churchill saying? We don't have the luxury of not being watchful. And I think the same is true for us as the church. We don't have the luxury to not be watchful. Be be watchful, be ready, be looking for the return of Christ. You have a few names even in Sardis who are not defiled their garments and they walk with me in white for they are worthy. So there's some in the church of Sardis who've not defiled their garments. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the garments of salvation. God has garnished us with his righteousness. And there's those that haven't defiled those garments and they're walking with Christ. So so the question is, how do we not defile the garments of Christ? Is it based on our righteousness? Is it based on, well, am I doing enough? No. It's by continuing to believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. It's remaining in the gospel. In 1 John 4, verse 4 and 5, it it exhorts us and says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How do we overcome? By believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And as we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that's keeping our our garments clean. Christ calls us to walk with him. He says, walk with me in white those who were alive spiritually in the church of sardis that weren't just empty shells they're walking with jesus jesus doesn't call us to religion he doesn't just call us to church attendance he calls us to walk with him jesus came into people's lives in the gospels invaded their lives and said follow me i want you to to walk with me and as we walk with christ it's not this kind of relationship where it's like well who's in charge Well, Jesus, why don't you do what I'm doing? No, it's Jesus is in charge. He's our Lord, he's our master, and we get to to follow him. But that's personal to you, it's personal to me. Jesus is calling us to to walk with him. And when we walk with Jesus, because we're connected to him, then we have spiritual life. We're we're alive spiritually. Verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white. He who continues to believe that Jesus is the son of God, Jesus then says, I will not blot their name out of the book of life. The book of life is mentioned eight times in the scripture. Seven times are in the book of Revelation. This is the first time the book of life is mentioned in the book of Revelation. So we're going to be studying the book of life as we go through The book of Revelation. What is the book of life? It's God's reservation book for eternal life. The end of Revelation makes it clear that as your name is in the book of life, that you have salvation. If if your name's not in the book of life, then you don't have salvation. You're separated from God for all of eternity. The Bible describes it as, as hell. This is the most important reservation to be able to have. Jesus said, declared to us, John three sixteen, the words of Christ, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. You can know that you have everlasting life. You can know that you have a, a reservation in heaven. How? By believing in Jesus. His death, his resurrection for your sins. Him being the Lord of your life. And as you're in that place of faith, there's that assurance of knowing that your name is written in the book of life. Our name gets in the book of life by believing in Jesus. Our name remains in the book of life by continuing to believe in Jesus. There was a a man named Charles Templeton that was a contemporary of Billy Graham. They were close friends. He was very influential in the foundations of the Youth for Christ, and led a lot of people to come to know the Lord. But he went on to denounce his faith to the point where he was an atheist and was apologetic to those that he had reached for Christ and tried to convince them to not be followers of Christ. So the question is, with Charles Templeton, was he saved to begin with and he lost his salvation, or was he never saved at all? I don't know. Only God knows the heart of Charles Templeton. Here in more recent history, uh, Joshua Harris, who wrote "I Kiss Dating Goodbye," that was popular when I was in high school, and I benefited from his books and went on to to pastor. In a very public way, he's denounced his faith. Just recently, he's got a workshop of how you can sign up for his class if you want help on how to deconstruct your faith. And after some criticism, he went ahead and withdrew that class. But he's very public in that he doesn't believe the gospel anymore and wants to help people not believe in Jesus. He's gone the exact opposite direction. I don't know his heart, but I can tell you this, based on the truth of scripture, it's important to continue to believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. There's that moment of conversion in our lives where we believe the gospel, but why would we ever depart from the gospel? Why would we ever depart from believing that Jesus died for us and he rose again? And we end in verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. On Wednesday nights, we're looking in depth at a verse, a topic from our weekend text. So On Wednesday night, we're going to study this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit speaks to the churches. But for this morning, let's allow the Lord to examine our hearts. Are we like the Church of Sardis, where we're going through the motions? And it appears that we have spiritual life, but in fact, we're dead. And it's important for us to turn back to Christ and to seek him and to draw near to him. Here he is longing for us to draw near to him. My life uh, growing up reminds me a lot of the, the church of Sardis and it was choices that I made, but I grew up in the church and I'm thankful for it now, but I knew how to play the game of church. I went to Christian school, was always in attendance of church, and I knew the Bible. And I could give you the right answer, but my heart wasn't for Jesus. My heart didn't love Jesus. I didn't want to draw near to Jesus. I didn't want to surrender my life to him. I wanted to do things my own way. And thankfully, God in his grace pursued me in that state. And you may be at a place where you've come to church for a long time, but you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. In your heart of hearts, you haven't trusted him for salvation. You haven't surrendered to him. And Jesus wants to save you this morning. And it's an important question to wrestle through. Is my name written in the the Lamb's Book of Life? We don't know when we're going to step into eternity. We don't know when we're going to pass away. We're not guaranteed to be 70, 80, 90 years old. It could be today. It could be this week. And as we close, if you'd like to trust Christ as your Savior, to believe Christ's word, that those who believe have everlasting life. I'm a sinner, and I believe Jesus died for my sin and and rose again. I'm trusting him for salvation. In just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand. Not to me, not to anyone else, to Christ online, to, to raise your hand, to be able to respond and receive Christ as your Savior. Or it may be that, You really haven't come to church. You've never tried to play the game of of righteous living. For you, it's the exact opposite. You're like, man, I know I'm a sinner. You probably thought the church was going to catch on fire because you came this morning. And God loves you. And there's an answer for your sin. Jesus died and rose again, and he wants to save you by his grace. So don't miss out on that opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. And then for those of us that are believers, to go, man, you know, when I first got saved, I really wasn't concerned with what people thought of me. But now for some reason, I've really gotten caught up in being seen by others. And I haven't been drawn near to the Lord. I haven't been taking Christ up on his invitation. Let's let Jesus deal with the backstage. Let's open up our hearts to him. Let's let him cleanse the inside of the cup. Let's draw near to him in a, authentic way. But what an awesome opportunity that we have, September 11th, 2021, to be the church, to be the lampstand, to be all that God desires for us to be. That it wouldn't just be the reputation of spiritual life, but the reality of Christ living in and through us. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your death on the cross and your resurrection, that you alone can save us. You tell us you're the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. If you'd like to trust Christ for salvation, make that decision. And the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Would you raise your hand and, and leave it up? Also, at home online, if you'd raise your hand, Christ sees you. And I'd like to lead you in a, per- a prayer this morning. Just raise your hand to the Lord if you'd like to receive Christ as as your Savior. If your hand's raised, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I ask you to save me, to forgive me. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Father, I thank you for those that have responded to the gospel You tell us in your word that as we believe that we have everlasting life, would you protect them and grow them in you? And Jesus, we thank you that you want more than religion. You want more than us going through the motions that you invite us to draw near to you. You invite us to walk with you. So would you take us deeper in you this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.